0: You'll find your place in Genesis chapter 37 this morning. Genesis chapter 37. In chapter 36, the Holy Spirit has recorded for us the descendants of Esau, and that's the last we hear of Esau in the Scriptures. We come now to chapter 37, which opens a whole new section of the study of the the book of Genesis, focusing on the life of Joseph. And Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. The Holy Spirit does not tell us what that was. And we cannot surmise, we don't know if there was some plot against their father, if they were undermining his business, if they were embezzling from his flocks. There was something that Joseph felt his father ought to know. And he brought unto his father, he'd been with his older brothers tending the flock, and he brings his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children, and we have to pause there and say, what in the world? And the Holy Spirit is an accurate recorder of things. He tells it like it is. And so this is the truth. We would think that that, Joseph, that Jacob would have learned from his own background the, the tragedy, the horror of such a thing. But nevertheless, the Bible tells us that he loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, "Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. Many commentators criticize Joseph here. They point him out as a headstrong, uh, heady, spoiled brat child. But I would submit to you, nothing could be further from the truth. He did dream a dream. God did give him this information. And behold, he, he tells his brothers. Someone has written, Oh, save us from those who tell their dreams at the breakfast table. <laughs> but that's not what this is. Joseph has had a revelation from the Lord, and he is bound in his soul to let it be known. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. I've always pictured the brothers' faces as Joseph told them this scenario. We've already seen that the setting is not a good one, is it? Joseph is not favored at all. In fact, the Bible tells us he was hated. And then he says, guess what? Guess what I dreamed last night? Or guess what the Lord has shown me? Your sheaves bow down before me. I was one sheaf, and you were the other sheaves. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? We know that that's daddy's intention, but will it literally take? Do you think you're really going to take over the family business? Is that what you're thinking? Or that, Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us, these grown men, way, way, way older than Joseph? It was more than they could bear. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams. How many times have we been told how they hated him? And for his words. He dreamed yet another dream. And he told it his brethren. What a a man of uh, tenacity and audacity Joseph is. He's going to have to be, isn't he? You see, the Lord is preparing Joseph for what he has prepared for him. And said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. I can see Reuben and Judah and Simeon saying, you've got to be kidding. You're the center of the universe now. Once first, you're going to we're going to answer to you. And now you're the center of the universe. I'm sure they said some other choice things, too, because I had two older brothers and I can imagine what they said. And he told it to his father and to his brethren and his father rebuked him. Jacob, you ought to know better. And said unto him, What is this dream thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, and his father observed the saying, thought about it, meditated on it. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in all places, of all places, in Shechem, and Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? He knew about it. He knew that's where they were. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to them, Here am I. And he said to them, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. Joseph was lost, didn't know where he was. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. And I heard them say that let us go to Dothan. You see the providence of God in all of Joseph's dealings. He even gave him directions out of the wilderness how to find his brothers. I'm sure they didn't want to be found of him. And Joseph went after his brethren and, they found, and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even... Before He came near unto them, they conspired against Him to slay Him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. May the Holy Spirit bless the reading of His Word and the preaching of His eternal truth this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is Your Word. How we tremble at the words we've just read. Lord you know all things you know the end from the beginning and we marvel at your providence and leading and guiding and preparing your people and we see that and we can trust in our own lives you're doing the very thing even in things that we wish were not here or we might would choose differently but Lord we come bowing before you knowing that you do all things well even these hard things these times of of testing and trials and things that don't feel good and there's so many in our congregation experiencing those kinds of things just now. We, we commit them to your care. And we pray your word would, would speak to every heart. Lord, we're so in need of you and your your revelation to us. We pray that you teach us and guide us and lead us into all truth. We cannot help, Lord, on this Lord's Day when we hear of the tragedies in Nepal and the loss of lives. Lord, we've not heard of our own missionaries there, how they do. We commit them to your care and ask for your, your blessing and your help. And we commit them to you. Our missionary, the McElrees, who are having to leave Ethiopia because of physical problems with his wife. Oh, dear Lord, be with that, those dear folks today as they're traveling. We just commit these things that are beyond our care, beyond our ability. Lord, we, we commit them to you. But ask for your perfect will to be done and for Jesus Christ alone to be glorified. In all that's said and done, we pray in His matchless name. Amen. When the events of chapter 37 unfold, Jacob and his family have been living at Hebron for two years. Joseph is now 17 years old and he had been about 15 at the time of his mother's death just before they reached Hebron. The story unfolded here is one of the most interesting and heart-rending ones in all the Bible. As John Phillips notes, one quarter of Genesis is devoted to Joseph. God dismisses the creation of the universe in five words. He made the stars also. But he devotes chapter after chapter to the story of a man who was not even in the messianic line. Such is the ways of our Lord. Joseph is the last of the prominent saints revealed to us in the Genesis record. And all, there are seven of these that you could hang the events of Genesis upon if you were dividing them among people. If you're outlining the book and dividing it into the people uh, who are prominent there, you'd have Adam and Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. No doubt Joseph's older sons had been badly influenced by the time they had spent in Haran. By the jealousy surrounded a household with unusual living arrangements, let us say. And the scheming going on between their grandfather Laban and their father Jacob, they could not but have been influenced by those things. And parents, I remind us all, and I hope you take note as we study through the book of Genesis, that our attitudes and actions and where we are and what we do, do influence our children. As the old saying goes, your actions speak louder than your words and your attitudes are caught more than what you believe is caught and passed on. And so we see that this underlying current and theme as we study the lives of these real people. When we read that text and I'm jumping ahead just a bit that that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other children. That stabs at a nerve in our soul that we just uh, we recoil from it. And yet, it is human nature in all of its ugliness. The scriptures do not sidetrack those kinds of things favoritism, any more than it sidetracks adultery or immorality or, or other things and the ramifications of wrong attitudes and actions that start in the heart. And, and Jacob will suffer because of this as we see in, the, in the, the event unfolding before us. The commentator Griffith Thomas notes, there are few people more unfitted for influence over younger brothers than older brothers of bad character. We see there in verse 2, the Bible says, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, and his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Every Sunday school student knows the story of aged Jacob setting his affections toward his son Joseph, making him the favorite, Uh, Joseph's dreams, his brothers being jealous of him, And they're irritated by his dreams and probably the most vivid thing that we colored or saw in pictures and family Bibles is Joseph's coat of many colors. What is that? Jacob was a shepherd with vast numbers of flocks and herds. His wealth was in these flocks that he had. His older sons were expertly trained in the family business. There seems to be a strong camaraderie among Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Banded together, it seems, to be this this strong team. And we see the undercurrent here of them against their father. Again, Dr. Phillips points out that Joseph must have been one of the loneliest boys in history. The family to which he was born was a family in almost total disarray, humanly speaking with Jacob's favoritism for Rachel and Leah's frustrations and disappointments, with the two older other wives nagged in their souls by their inferior status in the family, with grandfather Laban's tricks and wiles, with Uncle Esau's mercurial temperament and just resentments, and with the motley crowd of older brothers he had, Joseph must have often felt like he was more ambushed than born dr phillips writes his mother died in his middle teens at a very precarious age in a child's life and as his father's uh opened favorite well known it was no no secret at all it is no wonder that his older brothers resented him now sibling rivalry we see all the way back to the beginning of time those kinds of things are maybe in our fallenness unavoidable but as parents, we should do everything on earth to contradict such things and to, 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 be, to do the opposite to cause this kind of resentment. Joseph in the home didn't cause the problems that are here. Human nature is to, to point fingers at Joseph. And I've even read commentators who do blame Joseph for his status in the family, where he was born, his impetuousness or whatever they might ascribe to it. But... Joseph in the home didn't cause these problems, did it? They only revealed the horrible tendencies already there. The heart is deceitful and totally depraved, I I remind you. And so circumstances only reveal what is there. As with, with us, circumstances don't make us the people we are so much as they reveal what is in us and what we really are. But praise the Lord. Romans 5 verse 20 declares, Where sin abounded... Grace abounded more. Joseph was destined to become a great leader and statesman. That is what God had ordained him for. And, but God first has to attend, have him enroll and attend the University of Hard Knocks. That's where Joseph is going. He would have not have chosen to go there. He would not have enrolled in the school that God's about to send him to. He, No one would willingly take that Path just from the outset, a hard path, but the Lord is going to use Joseph greatly, and those that he uses greatly, he must temper and prepare for the position they're going to hold. He must test and train and temper them. I remember hearing that first as about a freshman in college. I think it was Dr. Lehman Strauss who came and preached in chapel and he was preaching through the book of James and he said that God never uses a vessel that He does not first break and make it all over again. And he looked out at that vast crowd of young people and he said, every one of you that God does anything with, He will break. This is a work after salvation. He has to break us. And remold us and make us. And I remember when I heard that. I'll just be very honest with you. The thought came through my mind. This just shows you the depravity of the human heart. The Lord won't have to do that to me. I'll be so good and so submissive. And so willing. And I'll deal with every little thing that comes up. That I will be able to avoid that particular class. In the University of Sanctification. Ha, 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 ha. Guess what? Chris Lamb took that class and is taking that class even as we speak. You see, the the truth of the matter is, and we'll just go ahead and look at the whole story then as we go back and look at it in pieces, Jacob would have ruined Joseph had he stayed in that home. We see all the scenario, if his brothers hadn't killed him, he certainly would not have been fit to, to be in leadership and would never have been the man that he needed to be to, to lead God's people. We don't know what Joseph's brothers were doing. And it's really immaterial, but it's clear that they were doing something wrong. Because the Bible, all the Bible tells us is Joseph brought to his father their evil report. And the human side of us, and even, I'll be honest with you, so many commentators almost called Joseph a tattletale. And nobody likes a tattletale. Joseph brought unto his father an evil report. What was it? Were they stealing from their father? Had they learned from Grandfather Laban how to, you know, work the books, cook the books, how to, to, to will and deal? They had certainly had seen a lot of that being done in their years at Haran and knew how to do business different ways. And it seems that they were doing something. Were, were they doing something on the side? Were they in, were they carrying on with the women of Shechem? They certainly went back to Shechem for some reason. They had made a deal, remember, before to intermarry. And they, they, they signed a contract almost. And whatever it was, Job, Jacob didn't know about it or he knew about it and turned the other way as is so often the case. Because we, we read that he knew they were at Shechem. But whatever they were doing, there was more than just tending the flocks and making sure that they were fed and and watered and all that you do with with the flocks. Whatever it was, Joseph's integrity compelled him to let his father know what they were doing. That's the kind of man that Joseph is. He lives by truth, not by feelings. He lives by what what is right, not who's right, but what is right. And when you live that way, what is right is based on biblical principle. Who's right is based on personality? And so often we see around us, people make decisions based on who is right. If you answer questions in that way, you'll always find somebody you lean in that direction. But when you ask the question, what is right? In everything, we ought to say, what saith the Lord? What, does, what is right? How do we know what is right? The only way we know what is right is what the Lord has said in His Word. And that settles all of the things. Emotions, favoritism, the, the ways of man all find their place and fall into nothingness and are crushed by the boulder of truth of what is right. There was a day in this nation when our, our leaders were statesmen and they led in this way. We are far, far, far from that day, I'm afraid. Now is to lift the finger, you Know which way ways, what, what do you want? What do you think? What do you feel? Okay, that's what we'll do. But I want you to know something was desperately wrong. And Joseph thought his father needed to know about it. And the Bible clearly tells us that he brought unto his father their evil report. It was something they were involved in, no doubt against their father. And Joseph felt his father should know. We see here that even though he was young, the Bible tells us he was 17. Let's face it, Joseph had some, some, something of steel about his character already at 17 years of age, something that's not often seen. And, and in character and discernment early on, oh, parents, we ought to pray and lead and guide our, our children to think rightly. In education, the, the mantra is to teach children to think critically, which is very important. I read yesterday that in a survey of college education, that after four years of college, many students by, are not, still not able to think critically. To, to, the whole goal of higher education is to be able to see from perspectives and problem solve and think critically beyond just the surface. And so, but the Lord's people, in the matters of the heart and the soul, and even outside of that, have the discernment of the Lord. Which is given to those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit who will avail themselves to God's Word. Paul over and over again tells his writers, I would not have you to be ignorant. There's no reason for us to be ignorant. We know the ways of the Lord, we know what God has said about these matters, we know what is right and wrong. Isn't it something that we live in a day that nobody seems to know what that is? That's just your feeling, your perception, right? It's whatever you feel it is from your culture, from your background. The Scripture tells us that God, let God be true if it makes every man a liar. He has revealed himself in his word. The Bible tells us that, that Joseph at 17 could figure out what was right or wrong. After all, that is a major thing that kids should know. Even a child is known by his doings whether he be good or evil, the Proverbs tells us. What his brothers were involved in must have been very evil and detrimental to their father or Joseph wouldn't have risked so much to tell it. He had a lot to lose, didn't he? I mean, he had big brothers that could beat him up and could sell him as a slave or or even thought about killing him. So to tell their evil deeds was not... uh, was not the, the wisest thing to do from a human perspective. You're trying to save your skin and, and have any kind of relationship with them, but this was so devastating his father needed to know about it. This isn't being a tattletale. Why is it that in our culture we'd rather be called a tattletale than some, a person of truth? There are some tales that need to be told to the right person, the one who needs to know about it and the one who can do something about it. This is not gossip. This is not uh, salacious talk. There's a wrong going on. The family business, no doubt, was at stake. Or the name of the Lord was at stake. Or both or all. And Jacob needed to know as the patriarch and the head of his family. And Joseph told his father what he needed to know. One thing is sure, Joseph wouldn't lie or cover up something his father needed to know about. But Jacob should have had better sense than to show favoritism toward Joseph. Had he not been the victim of favoritism himself, he'd, he'd been in a home with that. And so some might say, well, that's the way he was raised. And so that's how, you know, we can excuse it. But we don't excuse sin. Jo- J- Jacob is now Israel. He had met with the Lord. God had dealt with him. He had the, the Lord to help him and lead him and guide him. He should not have repeated the sins of his parents. Why didn't he learn from such mistreatment and not pass it on in his own Parenting. It seems that Jacob is, is pampering Joseph and pandering toward him. And if, if left in that environment, Joseph would have been ruined. And so God graciously and providentially works in the matter. And these kinds of things are mysterious to us. But God uses even the evil thoughts and ways and schemes of men to bring about His sovereign will. The coat of many colors, we've sung about it, we've colored them, <laughs> we have looked in child's books at the coat of many colors. We aren't sure exactly what it is. Uh, many commentators see it as a kingly robe, a very expensive garment, lavishly embroidered and, and flowing. One translator calls it a richly ornamental robe. Whatever it was, it was expensive. When you saw it, you went, oh... That's what that is. It it had a status. It said something. It spoke, this is now the supervisor. He's the head. He has all the the family wealth that's going to go through him and not through Reuben or Simeon. Other than here in our text, the only other place this word for robe is used that's uh, translated here, robe. But the only other place where this word is used is in 2 Samuel 13, verse 18, where it refers to the robe of a king's daughter. So that tells you it wasn't from the thrift store, and it wasn't some just, you know, old rag that he draped over him. It was an expensively made, gorgeous garment that spoke volumes. It probably reached the floor and some... Commentators commentator said, long flowing sleeves. It was such a garment, you couldn't miss it. And it's almost comical to see Joseph wearing it. And in my thinking, to see him wear it as he goes to the field to check on his brothers, well, Joseph may have overstepped things a bit there with all of his character and discernment. Did he have to wear the robe to Shechem is what I want to know. It certainly didn't help his situation either. It's almost like driving up in the family limousine, was You know, you're driving the car too? Daddy one not us touch the car, and, and you're driving it. We had a, a Buick. And, I, of course, I was too young. I had a brother five years older than me and a brother ten years older than me. And I remember the, the new Buick. I don't know what year, probably a 63 or something like that. I was in first grade. And uh, my brothers were supposed to uh, take me to school. Skyline Elementary School was a mile from our house, and uh, I had a brother. I went, when I was in the first grade, I had a brother in sixth grade, and a brother senior in high school. So you get get the picture. So the senior in high school, on rainy days, was supposed to take us to the school. That may or may not have happened, according to what was going on in his his schedule. But I remember the day that in that car was my dad's pride and joy. I remember the day, I don't know if you've ever seen it in those days, the glass was, was a little bit different. On a very, very hot day, the back window of that car absolutely shattered in the little, bitty, teeny, teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny, teeny pieces. And I don't know if it was me. I can't imagine it would have been me, but somebody touched the, It was there, you know. And uh, it would have been very uh, hard not to touch it. And that glass shattered. It went all over the inside of that car. But I remember what, it was, what a privilege it was for my oldest brother to be able to drive that car. But here comes Joseph to Shechem, to the brothers, out in the fields in this robe, this expensive um, embroidered robe. It was a supervisor's coat, no doubt, and it conveyed the message, Guess what, boys? I'm the heir. I'm, I'm the one. I am second in command. Now, granted, his father did give it to him and told him to wear it, told him to go to Shechem. And so we might say Joseph is just obedient enough to do with his father. I think Jacob was trying to make a statement to the other boys. It certainly wasn't the attire, though, that a shepherd would wear while they were attending sheep. It'd be like wearing a tuxedo while you're, you're watering the sheep. It just is out of place. But clothes do make a statement, don't they? And the statement Jacob was making was this is my heir. I am not putting up with the sins and the antics of the older boys. Joseph will be the heir to the family business. Reuben, though, was, though he was first born, had ruined his chance by his immorality in chapter 35, verse 23. Next in line was Simeon, who had been confederate with Levi in that gruesome slaughter of the men of Shechem. And Jacob could not bear to think that he would lead his family. Some say that since Jacob never intended to marry Leah to start with, in his mind, he reasoned, God. in God's mind, Rachel is really my first wife, and, my, and Joseph is the firstborn son of the first wife, and that Jacob reasoned because of that, that Joseph should be the heir to it all. I will treat him and regard him as the firstborn. It is no wonder that Joseph's brothers envied him. Joseph had some dreams, and he tells his brother about them, them bowing before him. Don't you know that went over well? This certainly didn't help the matter at all. Some commentators, as I've mentioned, criticize Joseph and say he was heady and a pest and spoiled. I think that's an unfair assessment. I believe that Joseph, as I've said, was so utterly truthful that he could only and at all times painfully Tell the truth. Whatever his, his brothers hated him for it. In the Bible, God's words equates hatred with murder. 1 John 2, 9, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. 1 John three fifteen. 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Right. But the same, there's a parallel. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Our Lord Himself equates in Matthew 5, verse 21, hatred with murder. Warren Wiersbe notes, the author of a 14th century preacher's manual wrote that envy was the precious daughter of the devil because it follows his footsteps by hindering good and promoting evil. The author might have added that envy has a sister named Malice. And the two usually work together. Envy causes inward pain when we see others succeed. And malice produces inward satisfaction when we see others fail. Envy and malice usually generate slander and criticism. And when these two sins hide behind the veil of righteous or religious zeal or self-righteousness, the poison they produce is even more deadly. Some say that Joseph prudently should have kept his dreams to himself. But I submit to you that his dreams were from the Lord. They were a gift, a warning. And had his brothers been more spiritual and more discerning, they would have seriously considered, what is Joseph saying here? What could the Lord be telling us? It was, this was not just some dream that as we have dreams. This was a noted revelation from the Lord. And they should have sought after the truth. They might have been ready when 20 years later, all this did come to pass. They, they might have been ready for the famine that, that God is warning them about through these dreams. Even Jacob missed it. And he had, had he sought the Lord, he might have had faith years later to sustain Him. When he thought Jacob was, Joseph was dead, if he'd, if he'd listened and been discerning, he'd say, oh no. Joseph will be preserved and he will preserve us in this time of famine. Some might ask the question, what about dreams today? In the Old Testament, several times before the completion of Scripture and before the Word was made flesh in the revelation of Jesus Christ, God did give revelation in this way to believers and unbelievers, by the way. But we don't see this pattern in the New Testament at all. He told Mary's husband, Joseph, in a dream to take Mary as his wife and to flee into Egypt when the the situation got desperate. But there's no evidence uh, that anyone else in the Gospels or Acts was ever directed by the Lord in this way. In Matthew 27, verse 19, we aren't told that that Pilate's wife, remember, she said mentioned her dream, but we're not told that that came from the Lord uh, to convey a message to her husband She simply had nightmares about the whole ordeal, and no doubt Pilate had discussed the matter with her. Anyway, she said, have nothing to do with him because I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But that's not the same as God coming to. She had nightmares about this guy. Just get him. Don't have anything to do with him. She warned her husband. But we're not told that was from the Lord, that he was trying to, to warn Pilate. He had the the Savior in front of him. He had the one who said, Thou sayest in front of me. I I lay down my life and I take it up again. We see here in verse 13, Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock at Shechem? Come and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. We see his submissiveness to his father. It reminds us of, of Samuel later on where he says, Here am I, Lord. And he said to him, go, I pray you, I beg you, go, see whether it be well with thy brethren. Jacob is worried about his boys. He's already gotten their evil report of the evil they were doing. So he tells Joseph, go check on your brothers and see if it's well with the flocks. That's another reason that I think it may have something to do with the flocks, the evil report. But whatever, go check on your brethren and the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem. The question arises, why were they at Shechem? Fifty miles away. We we know there must have been, if Jacob was there, there must have been pasture land and an abundance of what they needed where they were in Canaan. After all, this was the place of God's provision. Fifty miles away at Shechem and of all places, Shechem? Had they not... Made a disgrace to their family's name and their father's name. And and, um, Jacob said, my name will stink among the inhabitants because of the things you've done. Nothing good could come from that. Obviously, they didn't want people back home to know what they were doing. And that day and age 50 miles was a long way. And they could carry out their unlawful deeds or business or whatever they're doing. And it probably word wouldn't get back home to Jacob. They were covering their tracks they didn't want people back home to know what they were involved in we ought to live in such a way it doesn't matter what people know we're involved in we ought to live transparent lives lastly we might ask though i think the most mysterious question of all to me is why did jacob send joseph to his brothers to shechem when he knew the setting was that his brothers hated him and that they envied him. Why would they not send? Uh, why wouldn't he send a, a servant who could have done it more efficiently? Jo- Joseph got lost along the way, didn't he? He really wasn't uh, put up to or turned out to, to do that job. He, why, we ask the question why did he do this? The answer is that the providential hand of God was at work, accomplishing his divine purposes for Jacob and his family, and ultimately for the whole world. We read it in our scripture reading this morning in Psalm 105, verse 17. This is what the Holy Spirit records about it. God sent a man before them. He's preparing them. They're going to have to go there too. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. God had ordained that Joseph would go to Egypt just like He ordained that, where the Scripture says the Savior would be born at Bethlehem. And He orchestrates through an evil emperor to get his, 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 the family to go to Bethlehem to fulfill His sovereign will. Why God acts in these ways, we can only say it's according to His own good pleasure and His perfect knowledge of all things. But He uses even the hatred and the conniving and scheming of joseph's brothers to preserve them in israel daniel tells us that one thing for sure we know that god is sovereign isn't he don't you rejoice in light of all the things you've heard this week the unraveling of the foundations of the earth it seems we we cannot help but think of the 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 question in in Psalms, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Our God is sovereign. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 says, And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? That's our God. None can stay his hand. None can point a puny finger at him and say, what are you doing anyway? He's doing his sovereign and perfect will, ordained in eternity past. And if he has to get Jacob, Joseph out of a home, let's face it, he's in a bad situation, isn't he? And get him to Egypt and raise him to prominence in the University of Hard Knocks. Where he becomes Prime Minister of Egypt to save the whole nation. God will do what he has to do. And he does exactly that. What do we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Our older brothers, Potiphar, Pharaoh, the armies of earth. If God be for us, who can be against us? It wouldn't matter, would it? He is arranged and arranged through a multitude of circumstances for Joseph to go to Egypt. And that's where he's going. He's arranged in a multitude of circumstances for you to be under the sound of his word this day. Think of all that God has done to bring you to this very hour. Amazing things, small things, big things. Some of you never would have been, dreamed that you'd be just where you are just now. A year ago, let alone 10 or 15 years ago. God is sovereign. He works to a plan that may not be what we would pick out of a catalog. You know, when I was a little boy the Sears and Roebuck catalog came. Y'all remember that? You older people do. The Christmas edition of the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Heaven on earth. And we would look through it. We never saw such things. Where were these things? They weren't in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I'll tell you that. You could only get them through the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And we'd look through it. Our mouths watering. We would turn down pages. A lot of good that would do, you know. I guess we thought Santa Claus read the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And uh, circle things. And. In my, I, can, I don't know. This is maybe this is just in my house. I would say, I call that right there. As if when you call that, nobody else could get that very thing. You know, I look at my sister and say, "This is mine right here." She didn't have sense enough to say, "Well, there's a catalog. You can order them out of it, but you don't own it. You're not going to get it anyway." But if we could look through the catalog of all that is to be and and pick and choose, guess what? We don't have enough sense any more than that little five-year-old boy, Chris Lamb, 50-something years ago, looking at a Sears and Roebuck catalog. I didn't know what was real and what wasn't real, did I? I didn't know that that description there may or may not be the whole truth, that 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 dump truck might not really work that way, that lever might break, or it might not be what it is, or that in 50 years I wouldn't even need or care about that thing that was the most precious thing in the world. You see, I just don't have all the facts, do I? I don't have the experience. I don't know what I'll need 50 years from now. Do you? But Daniel said there is a God in heaven. He knows and sees all things. And with unerring skill... And love and mercy. And the discipline and the forethought that only a holy and perfect father could have. He has brought us to this very hour. Where do you stand? Do you know the Lord is your Savior? He has put all the resources of heaven and earth for you to hear his gospel. That Jesus Christ is the Savior and that you're in desperate need of Him. What you will need a thousand years from now as a Savior, I'll tell you that. You may not need the stocks and bonds that you're so quick, so carefully pouring over every day. Or the completion of that degree. We're having people graduate with degrees all around us. We have the most educated congregation. And I'm proud of every one of you. I really am. I cheer you on. But a thousand years from now, it don't, won't matter how many degrees you have. Can I tell you that? A thousand years from now, only one thing that will matter. And it's the same thing that will matter 10,000 years from now or 10 trillion years from now. is, What about Jesus Christ? What did you do with the, the man called Jesus? Did you turn from your sin and receive Him as Lord and Savior, bowing before Him as Lord? Or did you Connive and scheme or ignore and just go your own way. Because either way, it is appointed unto man once to die. But those conjunctions in the Bible are so important. It is appointed unto man once to die. Every atheist believes that, they know it to be true. But the most important thing is what comes after that. And after this, the judgment. We can fast forward to the last of Genesis and these boys, men, will be standing at the judgment seat of Jacob, the judgment seat of Israel. Reuben, come here. Levi, Simeon, come let me tell you about yourself. And Jacob reveals things they forgot about and had hoped he'd forgotten about. It's all laid out there. And all of its sordidness and truthfulness, there is a day coming when you will be called to stand before a greater than Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. What will your case be in that day? Saved? With the righteousness of Christ put on your account or will you have to stand there and give defense just the best way you can? Excuse. This excuse and that excuse. Or I didn't know. Or this is what happened. None of it will stand in the bright light of the holiness of Jesus Christ. All that will stand is the blood shed for sinners. And there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Let us pray. Lord, would You bless Your Word. Would the Holy Spirit of God quicken those who are outside of Christ and may they run to Him just now. I plead with You to examine Yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Are you? Are you truly in Christ? Are you resting in Christ alone for salvation? If not, I beg you to put aside your tarrying and your unbelief and rebellion and religion and self effort and whatever it is that you're leaning on apart from Christ and Christ alone and receive the salvation that He offers. You must be reconciled to God. We're all enemies against God. We must be reconciled to Him. And He's giving you this opportunity after hearing His Gospel and His Word to be saved. And I beg you as a preacher of the Gospel to turn from yourself and from your sin and go to Him. Go to Christ just now. By faith. Where you are, taking Him at His Word in your heart. Tell Him of your need for His salvation. You can call on Him right now where you are. You can ask Him to forgive your sin, to to cleanse your heart. As the believing thief turned to Him, you can turn to Christ just now in faith and let Him clothe you in His own righteousness. You don't have to speak out loud. You can tell Him right now in your heart. The Bible promises, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on Him? Would you do that just now? To those who know the Lord, and the Lord is leading you down a, a hard path, I point you to the Word of God, that He will lead you and guide you all the way. I lead, though, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I plead with you, too, to look to Jesus. Who have we on earth beside Him or in heaven beside our great Savior? We've sung about Him. We've we've rehearsed His claims and who He is. And now we rest in Him. Now, Lord, have Your way. Take Your Word and accomplish all that You designed for it to accomplish in Jesus' precious name. Amen.